as well. It's about our upcoming series that will start two weeks from the day. Man, I about blew a gasket on my voice on that last song and I wasn't even supposed to be singing. Um, But this will start in two weeks. It's a series on the problem of evil. The question, why does God let bad things happen? We're going to talk about our role in suffering. We're going to talk about the logical problem of evil. If you've ever heard someone say that the fact that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, that that's irreconcilable with the existence of evil. We're going to cover that. Uh, We're also going to cover how we as followers of Jesus Christ, or honestly, any person that's not going to go stark raving mad when tragedy hits, we're going to talk about how you prepare your mindset and your heart for when tragedy comes. And if you've lived long enough, can I get a witness from the church this morning? Tragedy will come. Am I right or am I right? It hits you from you have no idea where. And then often if we have wrong ideas about life, about God, about what I deserve, then often we're going to come to very wrong conclusions. We're also going to talk about, okay, Jeff, you say that God is in control and that God is absolutely sovereign. And if that's the case, then why in the world would God allow me to be raised with the parents that I was raised with, to experience the things that have been done to me, why would God, if He is good, allow those things to happen at all? And if so, then is there any way that I can know what God's plan is for my life? I pray that you'll be here. Next Sunday, it's going to be our snow catch-up day for those of you students uh, that are still in school. By the way, how did y'all like spring this year? Y'all like that? Yeah. Spring. Have a nice spring. Snowstorm. That's Alright, so we didn't have church last week because we didn't want to have fatalities and we didn't want to have a... Uh, a redneck competition out here with all the 4 by 4 trucks who could get up Church Street. Y'all know how it is. We were going to look at a topic last week called Modern Miracles. And I encourage you to come next Sunday. That will be the Sunday before we start this series. And we're going to look at, is there evidence that God actually works miracles today? Not, not the cheesy types of miracles that you would see on a Hallmark movie, and that's not a cut against those of you who like Hallmark movies. But there, is there anything... i got to be careful, y'all. Y'all don't even know. Is there any proof, scientifically, that God has done, can do, or still does miracles today? Because if you're like me, you're a natural skeptic. We got people selling us stuff all the time. We got people selling us life insurance, tires, donuts, college degrees, online degrees, where you should go get your hair done, ladies, what type of clothes you should wear, what type of, of makeup you should, I mean, all of these things. So naturally, when people give us accounts of something that they say is true, we're naturally skeptical. I really hope that you come next week. All the notes are already online for those of you nerds who want to intellectually pig out on that. But I will say this. For those of you that may say like me from time to time, God, give me faith. No other message that I have prepared since I've been, been preaching, which has just been a couple years, 
has changed my prayer life to the extent that this one has. Miracles in all regions of the world, even here in the U.S. So I encourage you to come for that. But if you have your bulletin, uh, we have a section of notes in there. The way we, we do this, we, the way we do church at Rocky Mount Baptist Church is, by God's grace, we open up the Bible, we read it, and then we explain what it means and how that applies to our lives today. A lot of churches today uh, may reference the Bible once in a while, but we believe that this is not just uh, a good idea. All right, We believe that this is absolutely true, and we have good reasons for believing that uh, as well. But if you want to follow along with the message, the outline is there. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment that you were there when Jesus was crucified. In fact, just go with me uh, very quickly to chapter 24 of the book of Luke, and we're going to read a few verses. But on the first day of the week, and this is beginning in verse 1, at early dawn, they, speaking of a group of women, went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they went in. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Let's stop right there. Imagine for a moment that you had been there. Imagine if you had seen Jesus and His disciples at that last Passover meal. That was something that the Jews would do to commemorate God freeing them from Egypt. Jesus and the disciples gathered around a table. And Jesus, with all of His disciples, His closest friends, imagine if you would have seen them break the bread and pass it around and and take of, of the wine. And Jesus would say to them, you will betray me. They're looking at each other like, is he, is he talking to me? But, no, Jesus, you don't understand. We're your best friends. We're your backup. We're your disciples. We're the ones who care about you more than anything. But Jesus says, you guys will betray me. And Jesus held up that cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And you think about this, when Jesus said, you will betray me, they were all like, is it I? Is it I? And then Simon Peter, you know, he was one of those guys that said, Lord, I'm ready to follow you to prison and even to death. You know, kind of like that guy that always wants to take it up a notch. That guy who says, I'm ready for whatever may come. That guy at the beginning of the football game says, not only will I sack the quarterback, I will sack his mama and his daddy and the entire rest of the fans on the other team. And then when that, when that back gets down and it's about ready to be some hut-hut action, he looks and he sees Cro-Magnon man facing him. This guy gets crunched. He's not so ready to take on the other team and take the world by its tails. Peter got so fired up. I mean, he's almost like the the disciple that says, King Kong ain't got nothing on this disciple. I'm ready to go. And Jesus turns to Peter calmly and says, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. 
And you know, it was really strange, too. If you would have been there, you would have seen this guy named, named Judas. And all the movies portray Judas as like the, like, oh, I bet that's Judas. He's like the guy that just looks like he would steal from his own mom. You know, he's not, he's unkept. But Judas was a man who, who left. Jesus says, whatever you have to do, do it quickly. And Judas, Judas had left and the disciples were still wondering, like, what's going on? Listen, if Judas had, had been that big of a cheat, that devious of a person, all the disciples would have been like, it's Judas. But he was that good to keep it covered up. And let me just say that just because we may come to church, just because we may be involved with religious things, does not mean that we're truly saved and born again. Y'all all right? It comes to the place where we have to actually repent and give our lives to Jesus Christ. Your heart changes, then your desires change, and then your actions change. The Gospel is not behavior modification. The Gospel is God changing your heart. And if we would have been there, we would have seen Jesus go over to a place called Gethsemane on on the Mount of Olives, and He asked three of the disciples to come and pray with Him. But they were emotionally and physically exhausted and Jesus kneels down. And the Bible says that He was under so much pressure. Can you imagine knowing that you were about to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world? I mean, just think for a moment the things that all of us have done, the things that we are ashamed of. The things that when they come across the radar screen of our memory, they cause grief and they cause guilt. And they cause us sometimes to think, can I be forgiven? Is it possible for God to change me? The answer is yes. But Jesus was experiencing the beginning of the passion of the Christ. And He asked the disciples, can you pray with me? But they were falling asleep. Then the Bible says that it was like, like Blood, he was sweating blood. His blood capillaries had burst under the extreme stress. And then all of these thugs show up. Judas is there with them. And he told them, the one that I kiss, that's the one that you need to arrest. Judas comes over with Jesus, the one who he had seen raise people from the dead. The very Jesus that he had seen heal people of leprosy and incurable diseases. Judas comes over. And we don't know if he went straight in or if he hesitated, but Judas laid a slight kiss on the cheek of Jesus. And then Jesus was arrested. And then Simon Peter comes back into the story again. He's like, you're not going to mess with my Jesus. But it's almost like a blind fanaticism, wasn't it? Those of y'all who know the story, did Peter go for his Bible or for his sword? He pulled out a shank, went for the man, missed, cut his ear off. Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. When Jesus was about to be carried away, all the disciples, all the ones who had seen Jesus in a boat about to be sunk from a freak storm, say, peace be still, and the water stilled. This very Jesus, who they had seen do miracles, the disciples all of a sudden were overcome by something that we all hate, but we all may have been guilty of at one point in our life, and it is that of cowardice. And they ran and they fled. Jesus was brought before Pilate. He was brought before Herod. He was brought back before Pilate. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was falsely accused. And then finally, He was brought before the people after Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. And He was there. 
And then they flogged Jesus. Those of you who are familiar with the Passion of the Christ or you've read your Bibles carefully, know that it would have been a cat of nine tails. would have had a sturdy handle, leather straps filled with all sorts of sharp objects. And it was slammed over and over across the back, all the way down to the legs of the body of Jesus. And often men even died of the scourging. No one had mercy on Jesus. In fact, Pilate tried to find a politician's way out to be popular with everybody. Which, by the way, a very wise man in South Georgia told me, he says, you're never going to be able to please everybody, and if you do, you'll be the first one who's ever done it. That's good. Pilate tried to find the easy way out. He said, well, maybe I'll give him an impossible choice. I give to you Barabbas, a man guilty of insurrection and rebellion and murder, and who knows what else. Or I give you Jesus, the one who heals. In other words, I give you the choice of yourself. I give you the choice of Satan or the choice of Jesus. And Pilate couldn't believe it, but they chose Barabbas. The very man that could bring down the hammer of Rome upon all of the Jews. You guys connecting with me on that? If they let him go and he did what he did before, it could mean every legion of the Roman Empire could come and crush and annihilate the Jewish nation. But rage overcame them. They nailed Jesus to a tree. And as he was on that cross, he said things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus said near the end, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And to make matters worse, he had someone on his right and his left, two thieves. And in that day, it wasn't just a pickpocket. You weighed in late, or you, excuse me, you uh, laid in wait. These men were dying. One had so much hatred in his heart, he continued to curse Jesus, to make fun of Jesus, to mock him. And the other one, a symbol of brokenness and a last ditch effort. The grace of God to a sinner. He said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Go with me on this. For those of you that have been in the gutter of gutter of gutters, you have woke up after a night of who knows what. And you say, Jesus, is there any hope for me? I want to stop drinking. I want to stop fighting. I want my marriage to be healed. I want to stop being what I am. Is there any hope? Think of the thief on the cross. He looks over to Jesus. He's a condemned man. Maybe minutes, maybe hours from death. And Jesus looks at this man and He says, Surely I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, but today. That is good news. Amen, church? That the grace of God was extended to a man that had been forgotten by his people, that was being executed by the Roman Empire, but God cared for that man and the Son of God was dying next to him. Then there was darkness for three hours. There was an earthquake. And the thing that would probably blow the sci-fi channel out of the water was this humongous veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the the people who couldn't get there. It was a symbol to say that there is a separation between you and God. That veil that some scholars say was up to six inches thick was ripped from top to bottom. Kind of like a power wrestler gets a phone book and just rips it in two. It was torn. It's God's way of saying it is open. It's through my son. 
But you see, if we had been there, we wouldn't have been thinking that. We would have been, as it says in the book of Luke, standing at a distance with Jesus' acquaintances, wondering, what is going on? We, we see finally, when He says, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit, and He prayed and He died. And, and they, come, they, they come along, and, and we're like, oh, they're going to break His legs to, to cause Him to, to suffocate. But they realize He had already died. And we, and we see with horror, we see them take out the Roman pike, the Roman spear, and run it into the torso of Jesus so that blood and water poured out a sure sign that death had happened. Wait a minute. This was the guy who was supposed to deliver us from the very people that killed him. This is the Jesus who was supposed to be king. And yet I just see the king died. I've wasted my life. I've wasted three years of following. What does this mean? As we read a few moments ago, early Sunday morning, somebody tell me who, who went to the tomb first. It was somebody was quick on that. The women went. Guys, guess where we were? We were in an upper room. We were in the sniper's loft, if you will, behind a locked door. Now, I don't know how seriously some of y'all take your manhood, but brother, that is funny. At the in in the Bible in the first century Jewish context, that the men hid and the women went with spices. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And then they come back and they tell these the, 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 the rest of, uh, of the disciples, they say, there are angels there. And they said that Jesus is risen and He's not dead. And the stone had been rolled away. And the guy's like, whoa, what? And they, they went and they're like, well, nobody's there. The tomb is, is empty. What does this mean? And then it begins over in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24, where there were these two disciples. And they were on the road to a place called Emmaus. And they're just walking. This is, a, this is on Sunday. And, and, and then, uh, then this stranger comes along and just starts walking with them. You ever been in the mall and you get that kind of awkward feeling like somebody's walking too close to you? Anybody? Can anybody identify with me? Or is my awkward meter just far off the chart? It's just like, okay, I'm okay with the handshake, but I've got a bubble. And my bubble goes out a little further than seven inches. Personal space. This stranger starts walking with him. And he says in verse 17, this is funny. What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? In other words, somebody comes up that you don't know and they say, hey, what are you guys talking about? And your name is? And you are from which credit agency? <laughs> right? And he begins to ask them. And then notice there uh, in verse number 18, one of the disciples, one of these, uh, by the way, these were auxiliary disciples in addition to the core of the twelve. And he says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And this is awesome. He says to them, what things? It's, somebody, it's like somebody right after 9-11 in New York City saying, what's everybody talking about terrorists for? They're like, are, are, are you, are, are you, a do you not understand? Do you not talk to people? Is your brain not connecting? Is the, are the neurons misfiring? Do you not understand? And then they, they, they go off and they just tell all about Jesus. And then in verse 25, this stranger who was listening to these disciples talk, this stranger said to them, 
O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things to enter His glory? And beginning with Moses, this is, this is huge for those of you who are Bible scholars, Bible readers here. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them all in all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. The narrative goes, the stranger walks with them, and finally they ask Him, would you want to stay with us tonight? And then finally their eyes are open, and the stranger was Jesus! Now, wouldn't you feel dumb telling Jesus about Jesus when you get Jesus wrong? And then He vanished to go appear to the other disciples. You say, Jeff, man, that's, I'm, I may even believe that that's historically accurate, but honestly, I'm asking you the question, what difference does what you just talked about make in my life, if any? We realize that the resurrection makes all the difference in the world. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that if you believe against it, that you're believing against the evidence. We have to understand, friends, that the resurrection is a rock for us when we are attacked by skeptics. So I don't have to take my coat off. Getting a little worked up here. When some of you or you're trying to be a witness for Jesus and you're confronted by skepticism and people who want to just tell you, tone her down a notch there. Just just bring it down. We're not, we're, we're, I guess we're okay if you want to go to church, you want to be like a religious person, but when you really start saying that Jesus changed your life, that just makes the rest of your family feel a little awkward. Then somebody may come to you and say, science has just proven the Bible. Not true. This resurrection is a rock for us to rely upon because if Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that I know that God is real and I know that God can do something for me. Not only that, but we think about the resurrection. I want you to go with me, those of you who have a past, which is all of you. And by the way, there are two types of people in this regard. There are people who know that they have a past and there are people who are religious hypocrites. Y'all okay? Religious hypocrites. They don't think they have a past. They come to church looking down their nose at everybody else trying to say, I'm better because I'm not divorced. I'm better because I know more Bible verses than you. And if that's you this morning, you need God's grace more than anybody here. Y'all okay? We've got to get away from this idea in the South that church is for good people and the bad people are... No! We're all needful of God's grace. But I'm thankful this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ... Go with me, those of you who have a past. You know it. It is an assurance that you can be forgiven. Amen? It means that you have assurance because Jesus is alive that He can change your life. And even if people try to bring up the past time and time again, you know that Jesus Christ has come to you in that time that you got saved and He has told you in your spirit and you repented of your sin, you are forgiven. The judge has come down off the stand, emptied his bank account to pay for our crimes. It is an assurance that you can be forgiven. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is empty and you're still in your sins. I think this is awesome too. The resurrection is proof 
that God can free you from the chains of addiction. Romans chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For I died to sin. How can I live in it any longer? I was a kid. I've told this parts of this before. We saw the power team. And these are guys who could do all sorts of feats of strength. And one of the things that they did was they put their hands in handcuffs and they broke these handcuffs. I mean, it's just, I mean, for a 15, 16 year old boy, you're like, I don't know your name, sir, but I want to be you. And it's just like unbelievable. The way that we have to see ourselves without Jesus Christ is that we are absolutely bound in our sin. Even if we can stop doing certain bad things and start going to church and start reading our Bible, we can't change who we are. But that's what the Gospel is about. You see, He changes us here so that we can be a witness to other people. There's some of you and you're like, man, Jeff, I've just, dude, I've, I've just been out of church. Uh, I've, I've not... I, I just, I just need to give my life to Jesus. We're going to have an invitation here in just a few moments to open up the front. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to stand here, down here in the middle. And some of you just need to say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. There are others of you, and you say, man, I, I didn't even believe that Jesus was real up until this point. I thought that, you know, if I can just be honest, the religious thing was kind of like for kids uh, and people who need crutches. Never thought there was anything to it. There's everything to it. It's absolutely real. Not only that, but the resurrection gives us a confirmation. Y'all check this out. That there is something beyond the grave. It means that when you stand around the grave of a person who has served Jesus Christ, they have been saved, they've been born again, you understand that there is something beyond the grave. That there is, as it says uh, in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we are not to grieve like the rest of the world. In other words, when a lost person experiences a death in the family, there's no hope. The person is gone. It's done. There's one place that a person can go without Jesus Christ, and that is hell forever and ever. I want to talk just for a moment to, uh, to those of you who call yourself young. I'm not going to put a, uh, a number on that because I'm a wise man. I just think about practicing with the uh, softball team yesterday. We've got some strong guys on the team, strong, strong hitters. I mean, throw the ball and you, like, do I, is my hand still there? I just think of the song, I want to be a macho, macho man, right? Softball guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's so cool to be out there and experience that and, and to be a part of that. But, but I always want to say something for just, just a moment. No matter your health, no matter your life stage here this morning, there will be a time to where we come to where it's going to be the last second of the fourth quarter of our life and the only thing that will matter is what we've done with Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that today for many of you, this will be the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. You'll be able to say to your family and your children or your wife, your husband, like Jonathan Edwards did, his last words were, trust in God and you shall have nothing to fear. Why don't you get saved today? Amen? Here's the thing. Satan will come to you right now and he'll say, well, Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you need to start giving, you know, going to church or you need to become a Christian or you need to do this. But why, why don't you just get some things taken care of? Y'all tracking with me on this? Why don't you just get, just get some things taken care of in your life so that you'll be able to better manage being a religious? Time out. Rocky Mount Baptist Church is not a religious club. 
Church people, where y'all at? I need an amen on that. This is not a religious club. This is a hospital for sinners. This is a place where people can come and be real. They can come and plug into a Bible study with people that are like-minded and share their burdens and share their concerns. This is a place to where people come and the past that you have is all under the forgiveness of Jesus Christ if you have been saved. We do not have first class. We do not have second class. We are all sinners saved by grace. That's what this is about. So please don't, please, I beg you, please. I've got like, seriously, out of each week, I even brought up, y'all proud of me? I've got a little timer here. I, I, every week, I may have 45 minutes tops before some of our church members, people who love Jesus, want to see people saved, start doing stuff like this. You know, doing the shifty, the shifty move. It's not a dance move. It's a Baptist move. They're in the seat trying to say, preacher, it's time to wrap it up. Let's go. I'm hungry. I'm Baptist. We know how that works. But I try, man. I, I, I hope I don't freak a lot of y'all out by the, by the demeanor in which I preach. But I just want every single person here to know that this is real. I've got like a half hour to plead with you guys each week. For those of you who come each week, and some are not able to make it that often, to plead with you, to plead with you men who have families, would you please give your life to Jesus Christ today? Don't put it off. Don't put it off. You, you may not have a tomorrow. And if you think that's a scare tactic, it's not because we don't know. You guys could get saved and begin to, to just confess to your family, say, I've not been the dad that I need to be, and I know that I need to follow Jesus Christ. I'm letting you guys know that I'm trying to start over. I may not know exactly how to do it. Some of you students need to go to your parents. You need to ask forgiveness for the things that you've done. You need to show honor to them and say, I'm trying to start over through the power and the grace of God. This is a new day for your son, a new day for your daughter. Some of you need to apologize, men, to your wives and wives to your husbands for treating them in an ungodly, unhonoring way, dishonoring way. You need to say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I don't know how this thing's going to work, but I'm ready to give my life to Him. Please don't put it off. Please don't put it off. I can tell you story after story after story after story of people who have put it off and put it off and put it off that I've talked to. And dude, I'm only 32 imagine what some of these preachers have preached twice as long as I've even been alive. The stories. Today is the day of salvation. Let's come to a place where we humble ourselves before God. We did a series uh, called Reach Out and another one called Slow Fade about how our hearts can slowly fade away from the Lord. We had we had people come. People who have been, been in church for years come and just pray for their friends and their family. If you're a person that's worried about what other people think, you will never get saved. Let me repeat that. If you're a person that is dominated by what other people think about you, you will never get saved. You'll be worrying about how people look at you, how they perceive you all the way into hell. The thing that can help every aspect of your life and transform you is not what he or she thinks about me, but who am I in the eyes of God? The Bible says that we're all sinners. The Bible says that if we repent and confess Jesus as Lord, that we will be saved. This is not a call to get your money. This is not a call for you to get a religious card. This is a call 
to give your life to Jesus Christ.